Hi, I'm Yvonne Prand with Bible 805. In going through the Bible, we'd see how God's people are about to enter the Promised Land after 40 years of wandering. Now, how are they supposed to live so they don't continue to wander aimlessly? How are they to live as representatives of the living God, as His disciples, His image bearers in a pagan culture? We'll answer these questions for them and for us in our lesson today. Deuteronomy, five ways to reflect God's image to our world. Humanity was created in God's image. When we become a Christian, we're Christ's representatives. Our challenge is how to live like it. The book of Deuteronomy helps show us how in the four sermons Moses gives to the children of Israel before they enter the land. Instead of wandering aimlessly for the next 40 years, they and we can have a purpose in our lives. We can learn a lot about that purpose in the book of Deuteronomy and to put it into a manageable lesson because there's so much in the book. I mean, we could talk about many, many, many things, but I've put it into this format where I talk about five ways to reflect God's image in number one, how we care for others, two, how we give, three, how we make decisions, four, how we define ourselves, and five, how we celebrate. First of all, how we care for others. The entire law ties together loving God and how we are to treat people. When the law was first given in the Ten Commandments, the first four of them deal with our relationship to God, and the last six with our relationship to people. The two, these two characteristics, loving God, loving people, constantly intertwine with laws on worship and how to treat the people around you. It's constantly going back and forth, worship God in this way, because of that, treat people this way. God's love, though, comes first, and we need to remember that we aren't the initiators, we're the imitators. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, it says, The Lord does not, did not set his affection on you and choose you, because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. John 3.16, of course, in the New Testament, one of the most famous verses, starts out by saying, God so loved the world that he gave. Our God initiates loving us first. Throughout the Bible, from first to last, God is the initiator, the one who loves first, and then because of that, he demonstrates how we are to act towards others. Deuteronomy shows us how to reflect God's love because it doesn't come naturally. We need to be taught it. Using this book as an example of how to love God and then others isn't original with me. Jesus often quoted from Deuteronomy. In fact, he quoted from it more than any other book, and he clearly tied together the idea of loving God and then how we love God, how it fits in with how we love people. And in doing that, he goes back to the book of Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy in a very familiar story, and that's the one of the Good Samaritan. Now, the context of the parable is instructive, and bear with me now because I'm going to talk about that, and then I'll circle back to Deuteronomy. On one occasion, it says in Luke 10, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written, Jesus replied, how do you read it? The the expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he didn't quit there. Like many of us, this expert in the law was attempting to justify himself, and so he asked, Well, who's my neighbor? The passage goes on, of course, to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, where a Jewish man was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Religious people walked right by him, but a man who was racially despised by the Jews stopped, took care of him, and took him to an inn to be cared for, and he paid for the bills. This was a shocking answer, but it shouldn't have been, because that kind of care for the poor and the stranger is talked about continuously throughout Deuteronomy. Deuteron- in Deuteronomy, for example, 15, 7 through 11 in the Message Version, really prefigures this story. And as an expert in the law, he should have known that. But let me read this passage to you. When you happen upon someone who's in trouble or needs help among your people with whom you live in this land that God, your God, is giving you, reminding them, this isn't yours, everything's a gift, don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. You see, that was exactly what those religious leaders did. And that was wrong. And very clearly in Deuteronomy, it says it was wrong. Don't look the other way. And the passage goes on. Don't keep a tight rein on your purse. No. Look at him. Open your purse. Lend whatever and as much as he needs. Don't count the cost. Don't listen to that selfish voice saying, it's almost the seventh year, the year of all debts are canceled, and turn aside and leave your needy neighbor in the lurch, refusing to help him. He'll call God's attention to you and your blatant sin. Give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do all your work and ventures. There are always going to be poor and needy people among you. So I command you, always be generous. Open purse and hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. Being kind to aliens, to strangers. There are dozens of verses in the Pentateuch on this. And this is, a, this is an area that I personally care so much about. And I thought about just reading you verse after verse after verse. I'm not going to do that. But just let me say, and you can, you can look it up on any concordance or whatever. But this is an area of immense importance to God. Also, too, something that really underscores this is when you look at Matthew 25, where at the time of final judgment, Jesus commends those who gave to the needs, to the poor, to the stranger, to those who are hungry, because he said, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we meet Jesus, our theology 
our political party, our stand on social issues, we don't see any of that brought up. Also, end time speculation, and you see a lot of it now. There's all these dreadful things happening in the world and all that. And I actually did a podcast on on, on that, that, um, you know, is the world coming to an end? You can, you can listen to that. But all of that is futile because, remember, Jesus very clearly said, no one's going to be able to figure it out anyway. But he emphasized, and I don't know how much clearer Matthew 25 could be, that how we treat people here and now is what is eternally important. Caring freely for those less fortunate is one of the most important ways that we can be a clear reflection and image bearer of our Lord. Moses reminded his people repeatedly to be kind to aliens, to strangers, because they were aliens and slaves in Egypt. And we need to remember that in reality, we are all aliens and strangers, refugees on this earth. As it has always been with God's people. Remember in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, it reminds us, and it was talk, it's talking about all these heroes of the faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And in 1 Peter 1.17, also it commands us to live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. Now, after realizing that we're merely aliens, strangers, whatever, and we realize that we don't put all of our hope and everything into the here and now, also this then affects how we give. Giving should be a continuous priority part of our life. And here's how Deuteronomy describes it. Now, this uh, there's some kind of interesting things in this, so I want you to listen closely. You probably don't hear this passage talked about a whole lot, but anyway, read it to you. Let me read it to you, and then I'll comment on it. In Deuteronomy 14:22 in the Living Bible, it says, "You must tithe all of your crops every year." Just kind of underscoring this is to be a continuous thing. But then listen to what it says: Bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place He shall choose as His sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now, if the place the Lord chooses for his sanctuary is so far away that it isn't convenient for you to carry your tithes to that place, then you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds and take that money to the Lord's sanctuary. When you arrive, Use the money to buy an ox, a sheep, some wine or beer to feast there before the Lord your God and to rejoice with your household. Don't forget to share your income with the Levites in your community, for they have no property or crops as you do. Every third year, you are to use your entire tithe for local welfare programs. Give it to the Levites, who have no inheritance among you, or to foreigners, to widows and orphans within your city, so that they can eat and be satisfied. Then Jehovah, your God, will bless you and your work. 
What we see here, and by the way, this is not an isolated passage enumerating the uses of the tithe. The tithe was to be used to, first of all, support the Levites. They were the church. They were the clergy of that day. But, and we know that. We hear that all the time. We hear that used to support our churches. And yes, we should most definitely, definitely do that. But do not miss out on the other reasons. And again, this is not the only passage. It's repeated again and again. This Second reason, it's to rejoice in the giving of it. I'm going to talk about this more um, when I talk about the feast. But notice it says, when you arrive, use the money to buy an ox, a sheep, some wine or beer to feast there before the Lord your God and rejoice with your household. And then third, very clearly, to give to those less fortunate, to foreigners or to widows and orphans within your city so they can eat and be satisfied. Then Jehovah, your God, will bless you and your work. Now, I'm going to leave it to you to work it out, the exact application, but a very clear scriptural case could be made that if the church budget doesn't include a significant amount for parties and giving to the poor, you may need to reconsider how you're using your tithe. And let me say one other thing. This is a personal thing, but I'm going to say it because I feel very strongly about it and have done it for many years. Any ministry that my husband and I have done, and we have have run ministries of all sizes, whenever we would have a party or we would have a potluck or we would do a special event or whatever it was, and um, we've put on some fairly significant ones in, in ministry over the years, we never ever charge for it. Now, I know a lot of churches do, but we always felt that the biblical example was to invite people and give to them freely. And um, again, that's that's simply what my husband and I have, have always felt was important to do. But I want you to consider that. I see many churches today, and there's all kinds of reasons, doing things that costs a lot of money. And that can be very difficult for families or people who don't have enough. And it, it seems like, do your fundraising in the back. There, there are so many people that you can ask to give, or, or maybe you work extra, or maybe you deny yourself, um, whatever it is. But when we reach out, I would encourage you to do it, to do it in, in really the biblical pattern of doing it very, very freely. The third way that we reflect our God is how we make decisions. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, God's word is to be the foundation, not only of your decisions, but of your life, your family, your identity, your conversation. He has them, the book of Deuteronomy encourages you to make it part of your entire life. Now, this is not a burden. It's a gift. We don't have to wander aimlessly, wondering what we're to do or how we're supposed to live our life or panic when things are difficult. But we've got to have that solid grip on God's word to be able to live in peace and wisely. And the benefits of this gift, Deuteronomy goes on to say, pay attention. 
I'm teaching you the rules and regulations that God commanded me so that you may live by them in the land you're entering to take up ownership. Keep them. Practice them. You'll become wise and understanding. When people hear and see what's going on, they'll say, What a great nation! So wise, so understanding. We've never seen anything like it. Yes, what other great nation has gods that are intimate with them, the way God, our God, is with us, always ready to listen to us? And what other great nation has rules and regulations as good and fair as this revelation that I'm setting before you today? Just make sure you stay alert. Keep close watch over yourselves. Don't forget anything of what you've seen. Don't let your hearts wander off. Stay vigilant as long as you live. Now, staying vigilant, staying alert today is vitally important. I'm going to talk about something you might not think about. But today, you can no longer trust your senses. Now, I worried about this many, many years ago when Photoshop first came out. And as many of you know, I also teach church communications. And when Photoshop first came out, uh, of course, everybody just loved it and they thought it was wonderful and you could do all this stuff with them. But I remember going to a conference, a, a church communicators conference, and this one mission agency, well, I'm not going to name names, was so proud of what they'd done because they had um, a young man standing in from, front of a camel and they were doing some sort of fundraising thing for it. And they said, we were able to make this picture look so much more authentic. And what they did is the little boy in the original picture was just this um, little young Arab boy, but he uh, he looked in many ways very Western. He had kind of the robe on and stuff like that. But what they decided to make him look what they thought was more authentic is they put a turban on him to cover up his modern haircut and they removed his tennis shoes. So he looked like uh, something out of a, a biblical Bible storybook. And they just thought that was great. But I kind of raised my hand and um, uh, said, um, but that's a lie. You know, that isn't the same little boy. That isn't what he looks like in the place that you're raising money for. And <laughs> needless to say, I was not the most popular person in the room at that point. Um, but that really concerned me and I, I've, I've gone on and I've written a number of things about that since then and talked to people that we we have to be really careful with Photoshop and with things like that. Um, we just we just must be very careful and that small change in Photoshop back then was nothing, nothing compared to what is possible today. I found a very interesting quote recently from the American Bar Association that I want to read to you. I'm quoting now. Seeing is believing, so they say. However, any truism associated with this ancient statement may disappear from our ethos. Have you heard about deep fakes? A deep fake is a video created or altered using digital means with the aid of artificial intelligence. With deep fakes, persons appear to do or say things that did not happen. It is sometimes difficult for an expert to distinguish a deep fake from an unaltered video. In other words, the world has turned its head with a new governing principle. Do not necessarily believe what you see. The dangers, the dangers presented by deep fakes are more frightening than Photoshop on steroids. In many ways, Deuteronomy saw this coming. 
In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4, it says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if that sign or wonder spoken of takes place. In other words, you think you see a miracle. You think you see something. The passage goes on to say, And the prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the world to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God who you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. False deceptive things can happen. You can, you will see these on the media. But we cannot trust something simply because we see it. And it's not always horrid things. It's things that have us focus on ourselves, our comfort, ourselves first, perhaps our political viewpoint, whatever it is, we must be very, very careful. Always measure everything by God's word. Now, I commend all of you who are listening to this, who study, who deeply get into what God's Word says. This present world is not going to get more godly, but godly people with God's biblical, true perspective are needed more and more. So what are we to do? Always look at what God's Word says. Look up a topic. For example, there's a lot of discussion about aliens, about refugees, etc. Look up what the Bible says about it. Don't just decide on your own or whatever, but literally Google what does the Bible say about refugees. There are many, many, many verses, and quite a few of them are in the book of Deuteronomy. And there, I also will have in the show notes a link to a really excellent article from World Vision on this. But on, on anything from a spiritual topic, when somebody says something that you don't really believe, maybe about prayer or about um, God's will or about any sort of thing, look it up. See what the verses in the Bible say about it. Read the surrounding verses. Read commentary on it. The answers are in God's Word. Keep reading, listening, taking in, get the overview of the Bible that you are working on getting as you read through the entire Bible. Because not only do you want specific advice on topics or on how to react in certain situations, you want to learn to think how God thinks. When you live with someone for a long time, or if you know them for a long time, you know what they want. You know what they like. Uh, My husband and I have been married 27 years. I know he loves ketchup. He puts ketchup on everything that it is possible to put ketchup on. (laughs) And anybody that knows my husband keeps a bottle of ketchup at their house for him to use whenever he enjoys using it. And that's because we know Paul. Paul loves ketchup. And now that might be a silly example, but when we read our Bibles, we really get to know 
what pleases our God. For example, I've been talking about the refugees. I've been talking about aliens. If you have been reading carefully through the Pentateuch, through the first five books of the Bible, you have noticed that again and again and again, God says things like, be kind to the stranger as you were strangers. Care for the poor. Care for the widows. Care for the orphans. You will see this throughout the entire Old Testament. God has a really almost obsessive concern for those who are less fortunate. And never forget, that's not talking about other people. It's all talking about us. In the spiritual realm of things, none of us are worthy. We are all spiritually bankrupt, poor, broken, worthless, and homeless without our God. And some people just might have that more obviously in an earthly way, but that's who all of us are. If we want to unconsciously reflect our Lord in how we react to things, we get that from spending time with Him and in His Word and ask Him to say, Lord, make me sensitive to the things that you're sensitive to. Make me see people the way you see them. Number four on how we reflect our God, it's how we define ourselves. Who are we? People are always wondering, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Whatever. In Exodus, it talks about this, and then I'll get into Deuteronomy in a minute, where it says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This identity as a kingdom of priests is repeated to us in the New Testament, where in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 it says, But you are the ones chosen by God chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Also, there are implications in this, and it's a reminder, too, that the world is not our home. It goes on to say, friends, this world isn't your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. And back to Deuteronomy, there's a very practical reminder of this whole idea in the tribe of Levi, where it says the Levitical priests in Deuteronomy 18, indeed the whole tribe of Levi are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They have no inheritance, no property among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Now, you might be thinking, you know, what in the world does that have to do with us today? Um, But I thought about this a lot. And the application for many of us as a kingdom of priests, in reality, in ministry, or really in any of our lives when we serve the Lord, the Lord is our inheritance. And we have to keep focused on that. Many people 
many of us, many believers, are asked to give up quote-unquote normal and good things if we're going to spend our lives in service. That's to be expected. Maybe you don't have the hobbies that others do, or the recreation, or maybe you don't take the vacations because you choose to maybe go on a mission trip, or you choose to serve in another way, or you choose to spend your money for people that have very little to eat instead of maybe taking a fancy vacation or or buying expensive clothes or whatever it is. Everybody, almost everybody, has really limited resources. And how do we use them? If we see ourselves as representatives for the kingdom of God, as image bearers for our God, remember Jesus, it, it says in, in Philippians that Jesus, who was in very nature God, set that all aside and came to earth as a servant. And this is something that that we need to think about. Maybe you work hard too in ministry and it's seldom noticed. In the work I do with church communicators, I'm always reminding them that say your church puts on a big event and the speaker and whatever happens, people will compliment them and they'll tell the speaker, oh, that was so wonderful and oh, we had such a great time and on and on and on. And that's fine. That's okay. Um, Pray they don't get proud. But seriously, very few people think to thank the church secretary for putting together the announcements and the team that put together the whole uh, setup for it, the custodial staff that cleaned everything to make sure that it looked good and who cleans up the mess after all of the people leave. For people like this, it's easy to get resentful, but I remind them the Lord is your inheritance. And one day, um, let me tell you, the retirement plan is fantastic. And in addition to that, God has an inheritance. And it is wonderful where in Deuteronomy 32.9 it says, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. A lot of people are hoping for a big and important inheritance and think they've won the jackpot when they get all sorts of unexpected wealth or whatever. But for the God of the universe who has everything, everything wonderful, marvelous, extraordinary, imaginable, it says his people are his inheritance. That's you and me. Now, number five, how we celebrate. We reflect our God. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the emphasis is on living the way God wants you to live because it's the very best way to live. Though there are listings of disasters and punishments for sin and not following God's laws, again and again, it's put in the context of do these things and you will live. Choose life. There is a very positive emphasis. This is a repeated reminder also of the commands to rest and to celebrate God gave his people the Sabbath and so much more. Once a week on the Sabbath, think about that, redeemed slaves who were seldom given any time to rest. Every single week on the seventh day, they were told, rest, 
relax, don't do anything. One of the neatest things, I think, is he even told the ladies, don't cook, don't worry about that. You know, just everybody relaxes. And then, at various times throughout the year, they were commanded to celebrate. This, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, it emphasizes the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. The people were told, commanded, to remember, to rest, to feast, and to be joyful. Our celebrations and inviting people to them are a wonderful way to share our faith. They reflect our God who gave his people the Sabbath in yearly festivals. Remember, our Savior started his earthly ministry at a wedding party, and he will welcome us to eternity at the wedding supper of the Lamb. This reminds us, as C.S. Lewis says, that joy is the serious business of heaven. In review, God planned for the children of Israel to be his image bearers in number one, how we care for others, two, how we give, three, how we make decisions, four, how we define ourselves, five, how we celebrate. But what if we don't do what he wants us to do? There are consequences. There's always forgiveness, but there are consequences. For their forefathers, God forgave them for their lack of faith, but they had to wander for 40 years on a diet of manna. How boring! (laughs) Because they didn't trust God. Remember, as I said in the earlier lesson on Numbers, manna was not intended to be a 40-year diet. It was intended to be food for only a short period of time until they got into the land, literally flowing with milk and honey and all this great fruit and everything they can imagine. But because of their sin, they condemned themselves to the diet of manna for 40 years. In the later part of the book, Moses not only summarizes the blessings if they follow God, but Deuteronomy also tells about the curses if they do not. It is an escalating series of troubles, culminating with their removal from the land, and sadly, we will see that played out in much of the Old Testament. But for now... I wanted to focus on the positive, because that is what I want you to remember and do. If you focus your life on being a true reflection of God to your world, and in how you treat others, how you serve and give, if you define yourself as someone who is representative of Jesus to all you meet and those you touch, you'll be too busy occupied with pleasing your Lord to do things that bring discipline. In deciding to live like that, you will do what Moses continually encourages his people to do in the book. You will choose life. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prend, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.